Pastor Tom, it's good to have you with us as we worship God together here today. Uh, and thank you, that was beautiful. Um, and Mark, that last hymn was written in what century? Four, four centuries ago, and then placed to music three centuries ago, and then, so a German woman wrote the hymn, wrote the words, yes, then it was translated to English by a man a hundred years later in England, so the German woman wrote the words, translated into English a hundred years later, put to the music of Sibelius, a hundred years, who's from where? Finland. All right. And then the last, the last stanza was written by an American woman just within the past century. Within the past decade. So this century. All right. Um, so you are, are part of a family that transcends time and culture and language and place and ethnicity. Um, kind of a cool representation of that this morning. Um, as we are gathered here, I just want to remind you of a few things. First of all, if you are visiting with us or if you have a prayer request, we encourage you to fill out this piece of cardstock in your bulletin or click through our website and communicate with us that way. Um, we would love to hear from you and know what's going on in your life. Um, if you are at home today with little ones, uh, we have the uh, Children's Ministry Hope for Kids lesson plan available. You, it was too big of a file uh, to include in the all-church all email this morning, so just hit the link and request it, and we will send it to you. Um, but that's available as well. It follows along with the sermon series that we are in. And it is age appropriate for kids up to around fifth grade or so, and me, fits perfectly. Um, and let's see, several things going on around here. First of all, you came on the wrong Sunday. It's a week from today is the crawfish boil. So that's happening. Andrew, I'm sorry. Yeah. More for us, that's right. No. Well, crawfish don't save. That's something you, it's, it's, you eat them then or you just say goodbye because, yeah. Um, so let's see. We have a Zoom meeting Tuesday nights at 7. That's a Bible study that follows along with the content in the sermon series. You're encouraged to Zoom in for that. We have a youth group tonight via Zoom. We're, we're in, the, in a, the process of a workshop preparing for our youth summer sermon series. So you're encouraged to zoom in for that tonight, and we will give you uh, the tools that you need to study to be ready for that. Um, and then I think it's next week we have a youth group uh, fun night. That'll be here, but not tonight. That's on Zoom. We'll send you the details if you need them. Um, <coughs> but it's the same Zoom channel that we're on right now. We got, we got one speed here, and that's, that's it. All right. Um, there is an ongoing women's book study. Uh, there is, let's see, already talked about crawfish boil. Um, the, our summer youth mission trip 
with Blueprint Ministries. So Blueprint fixes up homes for people, it uses volunteers from all over Texas, really, who come in, stay in their dormitory, eat in their cafeteria, go out every day in groups to do repairs on homes of people in San Antonio who live at one and a half times the national poverty level or less. So they do all the vetting of the homeowners that we help, and we just show up with our kids and adults and serve. It's a great ministry, and the, the people who run it are, are good friends of ours uh, through the years that we've spent. Uh, Lois, any idea how many years we've spent with Blueprint? This will be nine. Is that all? Just nine. Wow. Um, so we'll be in our ninth year of service through Blueprint Ministries in the summer, and that's, those dates are in your bulletin. Um, and it is important to know this. Like, if you want to participate and money is an issue for you or your child, just let us know. There are scholarships available. There are people who really believe in what we do through Blueprint who have already provided some of the funds that are necessary to make this happen. So we, we try not to let money get in the way of ministry at Hope Church. That's our philosophy. And so encourage you, please, if you are available to participate and at all interested, please let us know and we will get you in. Um, Sign-ups will happen online a week from today, probably. All right, that's our hope. And we're waiting until we have all those systems up and running. And then we'll just we'll rush the system and crash it all in one day. It's going to be great. Um, all right. Uh, let's see. <coughs> we, do, we are going to repeat our Easter sunrise service. If you want to witness a miracle, come on Easter morning at sunrise. You will see Pastor Tom awake and dressed. Not necessarily in his right mind. That depends on who provides the coffee. But we will be here uh, probably under the oak tree on the far side of the property uh, Easter Sunday morning uh, just before sunrise. And we'll publish the time for that, etc. But uh, encourage you to come and participate then. I hear of rumors that there will be some kind of a brunch reception for those who come uh, to the sunrise service. And that may or may not be provided by our youth. Um, but then that food will not be available until after the Easter service for the rest of you who show up for the regular service. Any questions? All right. Then there will be an Easter egg hunt um, after the service for our little ones, fifth grade and younger. And uh, what else? <coughs> Andrew, what is your current rank? Second lieutenant. Um, Joe, you're active duty colonel, right? Can you order him to come forward, please? Actually, stay right there, because we're going we're gonna to come right here. We're all going to stand up. So Andrew is in the Air Force, and he has been in San Antonio, TDY. Uh, learning how to pilot drones, I believe. Yes, sir. All right. And um, so this is his last Sunday with us. We're going to engage in a Hope Church tradition. Just put your hand on the shoulder of the person in front of you <laughs> or cover his entire <laughs> face or head that works too. with your giant paw. Um, but we're going to pray for Andrew as he moves out into the next stage of his military career. Father God, we thank you for this young man, for the faith 
that you have planted within him. We pray your blessing over him as he uh, returns to his current station of duty. We pray that you would go before him, that you would lead him into fellowship with those who are walking in the light of your son, Jesus Christ, that you would fill him with your Holy Spirit, that you would go before him both personally and in his military career and make that way for him. Lead him into your will, into your grace, your love, eternal. And we just pray your blessing over this young man and all that lies before him. We give you thanks for the time we've had with him and pray your blessing uh, over him and all that he walks into. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. We'll miss you. Yeah, miss you guys too. All right. <laughs> All right. Are there any important people in the room at this time? What? Oh, yes. I think we have some slides. Uh, Lori, do you have those ready? They are the um, screenshots from my phone, from the ESPN. So we sent out an email a couple weeks ago for those who wish to be involved in the NCAA tournament bracket selection uh, at Hope Church. This is all for the glory of the Hope Church uh, basketball jersey that is signed by whoever wins the bracket competition every year. And uh, we have two of our brackets that had perfect quadrants in their picks. Um, so one of those goes to Andrew. Will you come forward, please, sir? Currently in first place. Dolores, will you also come forward? Yes. Yes. So here is your Chick-fil-A gift card. All right, don't go yet. Don't go. We have one more presentation to make. Someone, and we actually don't know who it is yet. Hopefully we'll find out now. But someone, so those are all the people that are currently in the bracket, someone picked St. Peter's to beat Kentucky in the first round. The greatest upset in this year's NCAA tournament was picked by somebody here at Hope Church who chose the subname, I don't watch sports. <laughs> no, Pebby is I don't watch sports too. <laughs> Do we know who I don't watch sports is? Anyone? You might know. No? Madi is, uh, let's see, snooze you lose. She picked Arizona, strong choice, and I believe the only Arizona pick on the board. She may take it all. Nobody knows who I don't watch sports is? I don't know. Zach, is anybody screaming on Zoom, like waving their hands frantically? So we have, we ha okay, that's, that's all I got. Y'all both picked perfect quadrants. No, you don't get two gift cards, sweetheart. <laughs> well, and actually, Dolores, you have to give that back because relatives of, of the leadership of Hope Church cannot receive. I'm kidding, honey. I'm kidding. <laughs> but I'm helping you get your steps in. All right. So someone in our congregation who remains unknown. They also picked St. Mary's College
to win the whole thing, which would be a miraculous, I don't know what, it would, what we would call it, but somebody picked St. Peter's to beat Kane Tuck in the NCAA tournament. Can't believe it. We don't know who it is. We'll find out, hopefully. It was not Lance or Julie who both picked. <clears throat> Did you pick Kentucky to win the whole thing? So for the sake of your marriage, you, were, you had to, that was a political decision to, to put Kentucky in that slot. Okay, yes. No? Okay. Well, I don't know. <laughs> right. Yeah, I have no idea who it is. But there's Jen, who's currently tied for second place in our bracket. All right. Okay. All right. We'll Hopefully, we'll figure it out eventually. Let's move on. Um, and I don't think we have any of our important people here today. Not that any of you are unimportant. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just open us in prayer as we begin our uh, message for today. God, our loving Father, we come before you, and as we open your word, we pray that you would open our hearts, that you would speak to us this morning through this ancient text as we believe that it is still alive and moving in our hearts. And so we open ourselves to you to speak to us in that way and we ask that you would free us from the burdens of life that we might be more free to encounter you here through your word today we give you our our sins our failures our frustrations and disappointments and we lay them down at the foot of your cross we thank you for the forgiveness and grace that are ours in christ we pray that your word would would call out of us the proper response to that grace that we would be reflective of who you are in this world as a result of you speaking to us through your word today. We give you the relationships in our lives that are strained. We pray for your peace and reconciliation where it is needed. We lift before you those whom we know and love who are sick or recovering from medical procedures or facing uncertain diagnoses. We give you praise this morning for the progress of Joshua Johnson, whom we've been praying for since the month of July when he was in a, a terrible rollover car accident. And we thank you for the progress that he is making and pray your continued full healing over him. We lift before you our nation and our leaders at every level of government elected and appointed. We pray that you would watch over them, that you would give them wisdom and discernment in the decisions that are before them. We lift up the people of Ukraine, uh, and we just pray that you would protect them, that your light, your love would shine forth in that dark and hurting place. In the midst of that conflict, your peace would reign. We pray for war to cease, for your peace to be known in the hearts of men and women all over this world. And Lord, we lift up your church here at Hope and around the world. We pray that you would be at work in our hearts to bring your peace to the hearts of those around us, that your word would go forth through your people all over this planet and that it would not return to you empty. We pray for the men and women in our military. We ask you would watch over and protect them 
especially those who are in harm's way. Bring them home safely. We lift up those who've returned home changed as a result of their service, and we pray your healing over them. We lift up those church plants through our denomination that we are connected to in Texas, in Katy, in New Braunfels, and in Austin, and we just pray your uh, spirit would fill and work through those young churches. We pray all these things in the holy and precious name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. So, we are in a series of messages currently where we are moving through the book of Isaiah. We are kind of hitting the high points. We're, we're looking at this epic literary work in its original context, uh, just to, to like refresh our minds. That context includes Isaiah's recognition that God's people who were ignoring his word could not go on in that state of rebellion in perpetuity, that they would eventually um, run into the wall of the consequences of their own sins. And as that reality emerges and Isaiah predicts it, he doesn't just predict the fall of Jerusalem, the coming fall of Jerusalem, which won't happen for a hundred years after he dies. So Isaiah is speaking a hundred plus years before the fall of Jerusalem, and yet he sees it coming. But he doesn't just speak of the devastation of sin and the consequences thereof. He looks beyond that, that collapse of their world and basically says God is not finished when the destruction of sin wrecks our lives. That's in fact where he does his best work. So Isaiah then moves on to predict the return of God's people to Jerusalem, the rebuilding of the temple of God, and the reemergence of hope and salvation before God's people. He even goes so far as to predict the coming of the Messiah. And we've seen that in the first part of his work where he talks about a virgin will give birth, and that child's name will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. And, and just think about it for a minute. This is written 600 plus years before the birth of Christ. Isaiah somehow, by the Spirit of God, sees what God is going to do in history. He, he doesn't just predict it. He sees it and describes it. And he talks about this, this stump that is from the tree of, that was once the people of Israel that will be cut down by the king of Babylon and will, will fall like Jerusalem did. And then from that stump later, a sprout will emerge. Hope will be reborn. God's people will have the hope of life eternal reemerging in their context. And Isaiah, and I still, I, I don't fully get how he has this level of perception, but he does. And so we've now moved to the point in the book where Isaiah is looking past both the fall of Jerusalem, the exile of God's people in Babylon and then in Persia, and then the return of God's people to Jerusalem and the rebuilding of the temple, the reemergence of hope. And there's a couple of things in this passage. We're going to be looking through excerpts from Isaiah chapter 41 today. 
Those are in your bulletin. They'll be on the screen behind me. And I'm going to move through some portions. I'm going to hit a couple of key verses in between. I'm going to read from the beginning and the end of the chapter um, and try to give you a feel for this chapter and what it means. I'll just warn you, this one is a doozy. And the reason I say that is because Isaiah is jumping into uh, a metaphor. As we've explained in previous messages in this series, this is all written in poetry, and it would have been sung to God's people in their assemblies uh, after the time that Isaiah wrote it. And so this is God's word at work in the hearts of his people. And in this chapter, Isaiah is using the metaphor of a judicial trial. The trial is the judge is God, and the accused are the idols of the nation, the, the gods with little g's that are all around the people of Israel. And the importance of this, if you think about it, in this point in time, there is, there's one faith on this earth that believes that there's one God only. The God who created it all, the God who sustains it all, the God who's in charge of everything. And so it is that metaphor of that God putting on trial the idols of all the nations and people groups around them that Isaiah takes up in this chapter. So we, we, we've got the, the, the kind of the scope, right? Did I, did I explain that okay? We're in a trial. God is the judge. The accused are the idols of the nations around the people of Israel. So Isaiah chapter 41, I'm going to begin in verse 1 and then read through part of the beginning of the chapter and then hit a couple high points and then read towards the end of the chapter. Listen to me in silence, O coastlands. Let the peoples renew their strength. Let them approach. Let them speak. Let us together draw near for judgment. Who stirred up one from the east whom victory meets at every step. He gives up nations before him so that he tramples kings underfoot. He makes them like dust with his sword, like driven stubble with his bow. He pursues them and passes on safely by paths his feet have not trod. Who has performed and done this, calling the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, the first, and with the last, I am he. The coastlands have seen and are afraid. The ends of the earth tremble. They have drawn near and come. Everyone helps his neighbor, says to his brother, be strong. The craftsman strengthens the goldsmith and he who smooths with the hammer, him who strikes the anvil, saying of the soldering, it is good. And then they strengthen it with nails so that it cannot be moved. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corners, saying to you, you are my servant, I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you 
with my righteous hand. Fear not, you worm, Jacob, you men of Israel. I am the one who helps you, declares the Lord. Your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. Tell us what is to come hereafter, that we may know that you are God's. Do good or do harm, that we may be dismayed and terrified. Who declared it from the beginning that we might know, and beforehand that we might say he is right? There was none who declared it, none who proclaimed, none who heard your words. I was the first to say to Zion, behold, here they are. And I give to Jerusalem a herald of good news. But when I look, there is no one. Among these, there is no counselor who, when I ask, gives an answer. Behold, they are all a delusion. Their works are nothing. Their metal images are empty wind. So, in the course of life, we go from being children to being adults, and then some of us, because God wants to crush our spirits and, um, you know, defeat our sin, he gives us children. Um, and... I remember as a kid, you know, if I was going with my mom to the grocery store, we would get out of the car and she would reach for my hand. And if you don't know, I've got a little bit of a rebellious streak in me. It looks, it's kind of like all of me, but that's okay. Um, and what would I do? I would jerk it away, right? And did I look to see if there was a car with its blinker on about to come down the lane of cars? That Probably not, no? And would I run headlong into a moving vehicle uh, that I didn't see? I probably would, right? And uh, so I, I, remember, I remember like her trying to contain me, and her solution was probably just to like duct tape me to a chair in my room when she went to the grocery store because that was actually, I'm just kidding, my mother never duct taped me to anything. My brothers, on the other hand, <laughs> might be guilty of said crimes. But um, anyway, where was I? Um, so then, then uh, you know, I, I sort of moved through life to the point where Kathy and I have a kid and that kid gets to the point where they're walking and they go to get out of the car at the grocery store, and it's a busy parking lot, and I reach for their hand, and the kid pulls their hand away. Like, don't grab my hand. And I'm like, oh, no, you didn't. <laughs> right? And then I remembered doing that very thing to my own mom when I was that age. And the perspective has changed, right? Like, now I'm trying to explain to my child, like, no, no, 
I, I'm doing that because I want you to live through this trip to the grocery store. I, I you know, you need to, like, listen. You need to stick with it. Uh, take my hand. And there is this, this fight, really, in the human soul, in our relationship with God, that is much like that, where he extends his hand to us to, to guide us, to protect us, to draw us toward what is safe, right, and good, and we pull away. We rebel, we withdraw, we go our own way, and we go out into what is very dangerous and unwise in our own choices and in our own lives. And this passage speaks of that God who grabs our hand and says, walk with me. I'm your protector. I'm your caregiver. I, will, I want you to arrive safely at your destination. And it's written to a people who have pulled their hand away and run uh, brashly and unwisely away from their creator. And this particular chapter takes up this subject of idolatry. And you may think, hey, I live in the, what is this, the 22nd century, right? I don't worship idols. Um, do you have one of these? <laughs> do you see the metaphor? Like we, we hold in our hands more computing capacity than the first Apollo mission to the moon had on board. Right? This is, this is, and, and, and it's addictive, right? Sorry, mine just, like, saw my face and tur tried to turn itself on. Um, yeah, hold on. Hey, Siri, are you an idol? Hmm, I don't have an answer for that. Is yeah. there something else I can help with? No, I have an answer for that. <laughs> so... The human heart will reach for anything to find security, direction, um, you name it. We are unstable at the core of who we are. And our God is trying to say, come back. All of these other choices that you make, they don't hold water. They don't stand up. And you hear in this passage this powerful use of this trial metaphor. God puts on trial the people who make idols, the idols themselves who make promises they can't keep. So what is it that God wants us to take away from this passage? I think the, the key word in Ch Isaiah chapter 41 is trust that we are to be a people who learn to trust that hand that is extended to us for our own good. We are not automatically prone to do this, but yet that is our call. So to trust in the one true God, to know that he has a plan, there's an interesting introduction here. Verse 1, 
listen to me in silence. Silence is a word you would hear in a courtroom, even in ancient times. The judge would call for silence and then ask people to speak in turn. O coastlands, let the peoples renew their strength. Let them approach, approach the judge. Let them speak. There's a trial. There's, there's a case being made. Let us draw to, together, draw near for judgment. In other words, God is inviting you to use your, your mind, your reason, your logic to come to a conclusion with him. And so the trial then unfolds from there. But most interestingly, God is not saying, hey, do what I say or else. He's saying, come with me on this journey. Look at, these, look at the evidence. Listen to the cases that are going to be made. Decide for yourself what the truth is. And so we are invited into this process, and in so doing, we see that he has a plan, that God is in control of both history and eternity. So what is happening in this trial? In verse 2, God says, Who was it? who stirred up one from the east whom victory meets at every step. Now, when you hear this as a, as a Jewish reader, your first thought, anyone want to take a wild stabbing guess at who might come to mind to the, in the Jewish context of one coming from the east? The Lord? Okay. So, anybody know where Abraham was born? Ur, east of Jerusalem, east of Israel, a little northeast, right? And so, as soon as a Jewish reader hears this, one from the east who victory meets at every step, they're thinking Abraham. But then, the passage continues, and it's apparently not Abraham, and this is where we get something rather miraculous. He makes them like dust with his sword, like driven stubble with his bow. He pursues them and passes on safely. That's the Hebrew word for peace, shalom. By paths his feet have not trod. So what Isaiah is describing is a military entity, a king with an army from the east who will come down towards Jerusalem in victory and conquer everything in his path. That king's name will later be known to be Cyrus of Persia, the Medes and the Persians. So I'm going to try to explain briefly the history. Israel, whom Isaiah has warned, if you continue to ignore God, if you continue to jerk your hand away from his, God will let your kingdom fall, and you will be taken off into captivity. The, the captor in that case is Babylon, who comes, the king of Babylon sends his army to Jerusalem. They lay it waste and take captive God's people and carry off, they do a big brain drain uh, and carry off all the intelligentsia to Babylon. Then, a few decades later, King Cyrus of the Medes and the Persians comes into Babylon and defeats the Babylonian Empire. And this will be 
the next great empire in human history, somehow Isaiah sees it coming. He's like, you're afraid of Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. Oh, no. There's another one who's going to come from beyond him and wipe him out. And that will actually be the one who sends God's people back to the land of Israel. So, okay, I realize this is a lot. Um, This is quite a chapter, but we're just going to try to continue to understand what God is telling us. Um, Verse 4, who has performed and done this, calling generations from the beginning? In other words, God is saying, I'm in control of history. I, I, I let these things happen according to my will, and it's all unfolding according to my plan. Then he says what he says at the end of verse 4, I, the Lord, the first, and with the last, I am he. In other words, I'm not just in control of history. I'm in control of all eternity. You are safe in my hands. This trial that I'm conducting, the first piece of evidence, is that my prophet Isaiah saw this coming 150-some-odd years before it happened, 170, actually, uh, or more, that he saw what hist- how history was going to unfold. And so, there we have this first call to trust in the one true God, not to run around after whatever provides a sense of false security, but to turn our hearts to the one true God in control of history and eternity, to know that he has a plan and to know that we are secure in his hands. Why? Because he chose us. Just ask you a question. If, well, let's put it this way. If there were an 800-pound gorilla in this room, where would he sit? (laughs) Anywhere he wants, right? Um, That was cute, Julie. That was was good. Um, She pointed to her dad. so. Um, So if the God who's in control of history and in control of eternity says to you, you are mine. You are my possession. Um, Who can take you away from him? No one. And so there is security in in our status with this one true God. He's in control, and at the same time, we are secure. We are to find comfort in God's grace towards us. There's a very important introduction here in this chapter. In verse 8, where he says, But you, Israel, my servant. This this word is the first time in Isaiah that this, this metaphor is being opened. And it will be rolled out through the next several chapters as a sort of emerging metaphor for the Messiah. So 
Okay, we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. But you saw in the chapter, in the verses leading up to verse 8, the sort of these craftsmen saying to each other, good job, you know, stay strong, build those idols. That's what they're doing. That's the craft that they're engaged in. Or the stages of, you know, carving an idol, covering it in gold, nailing it to a platform so it doesn't fall over. Um, and it's all done with human hands. And God is saying, this is not where you want to put your hope in what is fleeting and what will eventually fall over. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend. This is the God that gives us security, in whom we find comfort in his grace to us, and in whom we find strength in God's presence within us. This is the metaphor I was using earlier. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. His hand is out. It's wrapped in ours. And though we may try to pull away, he's got us. And there are all of these um, moments in our lives where we feel, we feel as though we or those we love have strayed away. Can you stray away from the God who created all of this? Can he, can he lose you? Is he going to blink? Is he going to fall over because the nails that hold him to the altar aren't secure? No. He's not like that. And he will let you wander. Trust me. I've been there. But his loving hand, we are secure in its grip. And so we are called to trust in this one true God who is unlike all the other sources of security that we seek out in our lives. And we are to trust in the one true word that he gives to his people. You see, in this trial, he moves on further in the chapter talk about he who declared it from the beginning, that God's word, it, he, he's actually mocking idols. Like, which one of these idols that you nail to the altars to keep them up has ever told you before something happened in history that it was going to unfold the way it did? So that you could say, that God is right. So here's, here's the way the, the, the religious world around Israel worked. I'm in a tribe of people. We have a God. We believe in multiple gods, but our tribe has a, a deity that we kind of, you know, we make sacrifices to so that he or she will be nice to us. And if we go to war with another tribe and that tribe wins, obviously their deity was stronger. And there are deities everywhere. There's the god of that hill over there. There's that god of the valley down there. There's a god of the moon, of the sun, of the stars. 
There's gods everywhere. There's a god of the sea, a god of the sky. How do you please them all? And which ones of those gods have ever told their people beforehand how history would unfold? They can't do it. There's only one. And so we are called to trust him, to trust his word. And he gives us that word so that we can stop trusting in human strength. I love verse 5. I'm sorry, verse 6. Everyone helps his neighbor and says to his brother, Be strong! Buck up, buckaroo! It's all going to be okay. And, and we, we take... This is, this is right up the alley for me with New Year's resolutions. <laughs> right? How long do they last? A week, two weeks, maybe a month. Um, maybe in some rare case, if you make a weak enough resolution, it can last all year, right? But we, we trust, if you go to, do they still have bookstores? Do they, those still exist? Okay, I know we still have libraries. We can't get rid of those. Um, but the last time I was in a bookstore, I, I was stunned that the largest section in the store was the self-help section. And there's this little bitty nook called history. And I, I said this the other day to someone, the only thing we've learned from history is that we don't learn from history. Um, I don't know who said that, it wasn't me, but now that I say it often, as I often say, <laughs> um, We will look to anything to help, to alleviate suffering, to uh, avoid confusion, to get out of despair. And God says, stop trusting in human strength. But he doesn't stop there. He says, hear. Hear my promises of redemption. And I just love verse 14. Fear not, you worm, Jacob. So when he says Jacob, what he means is all of the people descended from Jacob who had his name changed in Genesis chapter 32 to Israel. It's the same person, the same father, the son of Abraham, the father of nations. Um, and we are him. I was in a... Um, a religious gathering in Austin. Do I need to say more? Um, and it was, a, it was a friend of mine's mother's funeral. I grew up making mud pies in her backyard. Um, and I went to the funeral, and this was a, the, the, the entity was a very kind of, it was a beautiful place. It was kind of a, I would describe it as a new agey kind of religious vibe. And they decided to sing Amazing Grace during the funeral. And in the first uh, verse, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. But in, in this case, they, they, they inserted the words, a soul like mine, instead of a wretch like me. And I'm just like, oh, wow. You can do that? And... I just, I thought for the rest of the service, like, how, 
how sad that this group of people can't recognize the, the most obvious problem in all of humanity, that I, I'm not perfect. I'm not whole. I'm not clean. I'm not even good by God's standards. I need help. I need grace. I need a savior. And this fundamental idea that when we stop trusting in human strength, when we recognize that we're broken, that we then are in a position to seek a redeemer, to look to the one true God, to his holy word, to the faithfulness that he sets before us, to hear his promise of redemption and to see that that promise is reliable. He says in verse 14, I am, he could have stopped there, but I am the one who helps you, declares the Lord. Your redeemer is the holy one of Israel. And then he goes back into this trial of the idols. He's speaking to the idols, tell us, what is to come hereafter that we may know that you are God's? Do good or do harm that we may be dismayed and terrified? Which one of you, who declared it from the beginning that we might know and beforehand that we might say he is right? There was none who declared it, none who proclaimed, none who heard your words. But God was the first to issue his word to Zion to say, behold, They are here. And to give to Jerusalem a herald of good news. That God has promised to his people a Messiah, a salvation, a hope, a way out of the trap of our own sin. That when we recognize the depth of our need, God's grace is more than sufficient to fill it, to cover it. So, in seeing that God's promise is reliable in verses 23 and then 26 through 29, God demonstrates that his promise, his word is reliable against all alternatives. He calls them empty wind at the end of verse 29. Everything other than God's word is an empty wind. See that his promise is reliable against all the alternatives and unto the fulfillment of the gospel. The gospel is, a, is the Greek word for good news. Isaiah uses the Hebrew term for good news in this passage. Um, and he speaks of that one herald of good news. That God's love is greater than our sin that his hand is out and we are secure in his grip, that he is the one who is in control of both history and eternity and our souls are kept in his care, that he will send the Messiah who will fulfill his word. This is the God who issues forth his word and then always fulfills it. Someone asked me a few weeks ago, did, did Jesus often quote Isaiah? And the answer is, is yes, and more than yes. 
Jesus didn't just quote the book of Isaiah. He fulfilled the book of Isaiah. That God's word came through his prophet to look to the hope of a Messiah. And Jesus steps into that void and says, I'm here. God loves you. God forgives you. God calls you into his family forever. The one whom you can trust. Hear these words from Revelation chapter 22. This is the last chapter of the Bible. And this is Jesus speaking over the end of history. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He is our hope. He is our joy. He is the God who is in charge of all things, all time, all places, all people. And we are safe in his hands. Will you pray with me? God, our loving Father, we marvel at your word, at the fact that you are the God who keeps his word, who extends his word, who demonstrates that his word, his love are eternal, that you set forth through Isaiah the idea of a servant who would fulfill all of the religious laws of Israel, who would represent your people in your courtroom, who would offer a sacrifice of himself to be the atonement for our sins, that we might look up from this life and see the heart of love that is set before us, the hand of God himself reached out to us, that we might take that hand and walk in security, in hope, in trust, eternal. Lord, we thank you that you are that God. Help us to walk with you in this life. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.